Hello, and welcome to Skynet Today's Let's Talk AI podcast, where you can hear from AI researchers about what's actually going on with AI and what's just clickbait headlines. This is our latest Last Week in AI episode, in which you get a quick digest of last week's AI news, as well as a bit of discussion between two AI researchers as to what we actually think about this news. So to start things off, we'll hand it off to Daniel Bashir to summarize what happened in AI last week. We'll be back in just a few minutes to dive deeper into these stories and give our hot takes. Hello, this is Daniel Bashir here with our weekly news summary. This week, we'll see stories on the future of deep learning, AI regulations, and AI's impact on jobs. On October 20th, the MIT Technology Review interviewed Geoff Hinton, who won the Turing Award for his pioneering work in deep learning. Hinton seems certain that deep learning will be able to replicate all of human intelligence. Of course, that won't be easy. Hinton pointed to transformers and natural language processing as an example of one of the many conceptual breakthroughs that would be required. Hinton thinks that if we have those breakthroughs, we would be able to approximate all of human intelligence through deep learning. He points to GPT-3 as an example of a model much smaller than the brain, but able to generate plausible-looking text. There are still a lot of areas where AI isn't doing so well, like common-sense reasoning. Hinton seems optimistic that researchers will be able to tackle these capabilities. Given that he was spot-on about deep learning, his optimism certainly has some credence. Turning to applications of deep learning, we've seen plenty of worrying cases of facial recognition being used in the United States and around the world. Canada is no exception. Real estate company Cadillac Fairview collected 5 million images of shoppers' faces without their consent at a dozen of Canada's most popular malls. But according to The Star, commissioners had no authority to fine the firm, demonstrating the legal void around algorithm technology. While Canada is known as an artificial intelligence hub, it lacks a regulatory regime to deal with privacy, discrimination, and accountability issues. Canada is inching towards regulation, but its focus has been on funding research as opposed to developing regulations and governance structures. One minister says an update to privacy legislation is due in the coming weeks, but has not nailed down a timeline. Meanwhile, experts are emphasizing the urgency of reform. We'll have to see whether they're able to put enough pressure on the government to spur quick action. In addition to concerns like privacy, there's plenty of worry that AI might end up replacing many of our jobs. Axios says that while some jobs will be eliminated, others will be created and the vast majority of jobs will remain, but be drastically changed. This means the main challenge for employers is to ensure workforces are ready for the technology's effects. A director at the Stanford Institute for Human-Centered AI noted that the pandemic accelerated investment in robotics and automation, but that it takes a lot of time to find the right uses for the new technology. At a recent summit on AI and the future of work, McKinsey's Global Institute chairman estimated that only about 10% of jobs are at risk to automation and AI whereas 60% fall into a category where at least one-third of tasks could be automated. But let's look at a specific example of how this is playing out. A recent example of automation's use is retail robots that can scan shelves and update inventory in stores. But The Verge states that Walmart, one of the biggest adopters of this technology, has decided that humans can do the job just as well. 
So Walmart is ending its contract with Bosa Nova Robotics, which the retail giant began using in 2017 to deploy shelf-scanning robots to various stores. Besides the fact that Walmart thinks there are different, simpler solutions to keeping products in stock, Walmart US's chief executive John Ferner raised concerns about how shoppers would react to seeing a robot in the store. Robots and automation present plenty of promising opportunities for companies to make their work more efficient. But we're still in an experimental phase, and the technology doesn't always work so well. The Walmart case demonstrates that we still have some ways to go on the road to adoption. That's all for this week's News Roundup. Stay tuned for a more in-depth discussion of recent events with Andre and Sharon. Thanks, Daniel, and welcome back, listeners. Now that you've had the summary of last week's news, feel free to stick around for a more laid-back discussion about this news by two AI researchers, one of whom is myself, Sharon, a fourth-year PhD student in the machine learning group working with Andrew Ng. I do research on generative models, improving generalization of neural networks, and applying machine learning to tackling the climate crisis as well as to medicine. And with me is my co-host... I am Andre Krankov, a third-year PhD student at the Stanford Vision and Learning Lab. I do research on robotic manipulation, which involves reinforcement learning, computer vision, a couple of things. How are you doing this week, Sharon? I am roughing it out with iClear reviews. Woohoo! <laughs> yep, they just came out. I've, I was actually scrolling through all the list of papers and... Uh, Never fun when you have a spread of different numbers, which I think you mentioned, but you know, yes, as long as you got some I positive ones. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I have numbers like, like everyone was supposed to give a different number or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, we will see. Uh, of course, this is also a very interesting week having followed um, the election and everything. So, just lots of things coming at us, you know, just. 2020 style. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've had it it's kind of interesting. I just submitted a paper now almost yes. two weeks ago. So yes. I'm the uh, afterglow of not having much <laughs> going on yet. Catching up on reading papers and thinking about the future. <laughs> <laughs> nice. You're like, oh, and then I become a philosopher in this downtime. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just, you know, things are so slow. It's crazy. I just don't have that much to oh, do. Oh, come on. No, no. Would you like to help respond to reviews with me? There was, there was a conference a week before the deadline that was all online and all the, all, the, all the talks are online. So I was just catching up on that the last few days. Oh, that's looking for Yeah. And then there's another one next week, I think. So it should be fun. That sounds really fun. Yeah. All right, shall we dive right in? Let's dive in. And we have our first story here from the Technology Review uh, titled AI Pioneer Jeff Hinton, Deep Learning is Going to Be Able to Do Everything. Actually, before we discuss the content, I, I find it kind of interesting or fun. This was originally titled, I think, like AI Godfather Jeff Hinton, Deep Learning is Going to Ooh, Be Able to Do Everything. Yeah. And then uh, someone pointed out on Twitter, that uh, AI research isn't the mafia. It's kind of weird to uh, call people godfathers or whatever. And yeah, it got changed to AI Pioneer because the, uh, the author of it actually agreed and talked to the editor and so on. 
So kind of a funny. Also, not all men. So I know. <laughs> I think that's why people were like, "Can we stop using Godfather?" Exactly, and yeah, it wasn't a big deal, but uh, it was tied also in a lazy way and and got changed according to the offer. But anyway, that's the title. The story is um, kind of what the title implies. There was an interview with Jeff Hinton at the Tech Review, and in it. He got asked, basically, can we get to full AI with deep learning? And he said yes. And he said, you know, we might need some tricks, but deep learning is going to be able to get us to full intelligence. Uh, not really changing his view or anything, but kind of bringing this topic back to the fore and, and leading to some discussion. Now, did you see this uh, take by him, Sharon? And do you have any thoughts on it or this topic generally? I heard a lot of hot takes from this um, and a lot of disagreement from Gary Marcus and the like, uh, and, and I think Jan LeCun actually. So um, basically, you know, can deep learning solve all of AI problems? And, uh, and I think the title might blow this up a little bit more and also solve all problems, not just, not just uh, general intelligence um, when it comes to AGI. So so yeah, that's that's quite a bold claim, um, and I guess it, again, it it harks back to how do we define AI um, and how do we define deep learning here? Um, does that also include breakthroughs in hardware that we're accelerating? Um, and yeah, what does that look like? Uh, I I have an inkling that it's not going to just be deep learning as I know it, but. Um, I would love to see, you know, how far this technology can push. And I would also like to see just generally more collaboration across different disciplines and like not just saying, you know, this one thing is the, the ultimate hammer in the world, but that there's more. What about you? Yeah, I think as with whenever this comes up, things are kind of ill-defined. You know, what is deep learning? Yen LeCun argues that deep learning is a very general sentiment of optimizing models of gradient descent, at which point deep learning can be almost anything. Like, you know, you can extend it to include radically different notions from what we have today. So I think, uh, as I understand it, Hinton is basically saying that, that we can conceivably do something that is at the core uh, what we have now of deep learning, even if we particulars, there's going to be a ton of very novel, very different things going on. Um, yeah, so I, I think it's kind of not useful to even make predictions at that point. If you're saying something that has this one quality, but otherwise might be totally different, uh, could get us to everything, I, I find that not very interesting. And yeah, I think uh, Bengio and others kind of make the same basic argument of you can use the basic tools of backpropagation and, uh, you know, uh, connectionist representations, but then you might get some radically new things as well. That's my overall understanding and what I thought of uh, this coming up. Yes. And to be clear for readers, I mean, it makes sense for Jeffrey Hinton to be saying this, right? Since it only promotes him um, in a way and same with the other pioneers. So in that sense, I feel like it almost is just like consistent and in the short term, it even just like is very predictable for him to say something like this um, without evidence to the contrary. 
necessarily that's like super in his face. So why not kind of thing? Yeah, I, I think it's unsurprising. I mean, he has kind of committed to neural nets for decades before it was cool. Right. <laughs> so he's pretty much being consistent here of saying, you know, neural nets, broadly speaking, will somehow get us beyond where we are. Um, and certainly I do like here, he says, uh, there's something in your end that the symbolic approach is a perfectly reasonable thing to try. But his guess is that in the end, we'll realize that symbols just exist out there in the real world and we do internal operations on big vectors, which is what deep learning is. So yeah, I think he isn't against doing research that is, doesn't involve deep learning, um, sounds like, which is good. That is good. Always good to dig into the details of what someone actually said and not just the headline. Exactly. Well, on to our next article in the Wall Street Journal titled, Walmart Scraps Plan to Have Robots Scan Shelves. Okay, so basically, Walmart uh, put out earlier this year that it would work with Bosa Nova Robotics, um, these inventory robots, and a lot of them, like thousands. Uh, but they just stated that they will not be doing this. Uh, and so this is a years-long push uh, to automate the task of keeping track of inventory, which is a very laborious task that they're now going back on. This is a very big piece of news in the robotics community because I think when Walmart first said they would use Bosa Nova, people were like, wow, the robots are really, you know, making it in uh, to like a mainstream huge company and doing something really large there. And now um, Walmart has ended that partnership. But what are your thoughts on this as a roboticist? Yeah, I think it's interesting, uh, partially in the sense of, We've seen increasing efforts to try and get robots out there in the real world and not just in factories. So there's people working on healthcare, getting, uh, you know, robots in, uh, to work with nurses in hospitals. And as you said, yeah, there's been these efforts to get robots in stores in, um, stores like Walmart to help with kind of easy tasks of scanning what's on shelves and so on. So it's kind of in its early days, all these companies trying to make uh, robots that are out in the real world. Another one is actually in hotels. There's robots for delivery and that's being tried. So it, it's kind of a question for me and maybe for roboticists everywhere, how soon we'll see this sort of work and really propagate of having a lot of robots out there in different environments like hotels, like stores, etc. And yeah, it's taking a while because robots are expensive. It's hard to get them to work well. And ultimately people just work well. You know, people can do a lot of stuff. They're flexible and um, they don't have bugs, unlike robots and software in general. So I think this is just showing that for now, we're still maybe not that strong a need for this sort of thing. Uh, some people predicted that with COVID, there would be more robotic uh, usage out there and uh, more people, more companies would start using robots. And seems like maybe that's not the case. So that's my take. I don't know. What, what do you make of it, Sharon? Yeah, there's this huge prediction in the beginning of the pandemic that 
this would be, you know, the time for robots. But even if it's a time for robots, it doesn't mean we're ready. And I think a huge sign that we're not ready is that this deal, for example, has fallen through. Um, But I do think we're pushing on those frontiers, arguably, you know, a dishwasher or a washing machine are robots. But it's a matter of like what you think of as a robot as opposed to a machine. And again, it's like a definition thing. And I think at the beginning when something is replacing jobs, it does feel like it's a robot, but then maybe it turns into a machine uh, once once a new norm is established. Exactly. Yeah, I think um, partially, yeah, so this, this deal fell apart because Walmart basically found an easier and maybe slightly different way of doing it that didn't involve this giant six foot tall inventory scanning robot that kind of wheeled around and looked everywhere. So yeah, I think the tough thing is just having a tool that people can use like a scanner uh, along with a human is far more powerful than the robot alone. And that's a washing machine is an example where people use load, you know, dishes into the washing machine and then it does its thing. So building these sort of tools that aren't necessarily automated or that can work along with people is actually way more important. And maybe that's part of the reason this fell through is that the robots were not designed to really be leveraged by people and make them more productive, uh, which I think is a lot of what we, let's say, hospital robots are meant for is to uh, free up the time of nurses to do actually hard things as opposed to easy things. That completely makes sense. And um, humans are just so flexible. Like maybe you're doing a certain task like inventory or nursing, but you could also do something else, you know, like that a robot can't replace easily. And robot can replace a very repeatable task that everyone does. But what if, you know, you do inventory, but you're also there to, I don't know, um, take down a note on some other random thing, you know, and a robot won't be able to be that flexible. So uh, I think, yeah, I think we're still seeing how robots, where they can fit in best and, um, uh, how best they can interact with humans, with human robot interaction. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I think this news is sort of symbolic in a sense of it's easy to sort of get worked up about AI taking jobs and robots taking jobs, but in reality, uh, even for simple things like scanning, you know, what you have on shelves and yeah, you can build a robot to do it, but do the company, does the company actually need to, uh, so far that's not the case. And it's going to be decades, uh, most likely until robots really threaten many jobs out there in, in the real world, um, which right, is good news right. for us. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe not us as about, uh, you know, AI people, but for more awesome humans, <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I, and I do think like, sure, this is symbolic, but there's also the caveat of, you know, there could have been something wrong on the sales side. Something might've fallen through there as well and might not really be related to the technology, but, um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Walmart still does use some robots, like there's these floor scrubber robots, basically big Roombas, uh, to clean up, uh, in the store. So it's not like there won't be any robots, uh, anytime. It's just, Maybe this big rollout was a little premature. Right, right. Uh, but onto another article we have here from Healthcare News about somewhere where maybe it isn't premature. 
uh, or maybe working better. Uh, so this is titled uh, 2020 AI Survey, Confidence in Artificial Intelligence Expands as Health Industry Leaders Project Faster Return on Investment. And to sum it up, uh, yeah, the, the third annual survey on AI in healthcare found that a majority of respondents uh, expect organizations to see a full return on their on their AI investments in under three years, and that's up a lot since 2018. So, seems like AI in healthcare is really maturing pretty quickly, and these numbers are pretty impressive. For instance, 95% of healthcare executives said hiring talent to experience developing AI is a priority. Uh, yeah, I I. I'm a little impressed by these numbers. I wonder what you think of um, Sharon as someone who works in AI and medicine. I'm very surprised. It sounds very hyped. <laughs> um, um, I wonder if they actually, so they expect uh, a nice ROI, but when did they first put in their, um, I, I guess like when did they first put in their investment and, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm actually pretty surprised that they're so confident. I do think that there have been some advancements um, that have made this confidence boost um, in terms of uh, one um, CMS approving uh, basically using Medicare Medicaid to pay for an AI like viz.ai. I think that's huge. I think there have been um, certain movements towards that now that that have surged and that's like a huge huge opportunity there um i don't know when this survey was necessarily exactly taken this year but um with uh the new president elect uh biden i can see this being more and more the case as well um given the heavier focus on healthcare in general um with the new administration and yeah Overall, I'm quite surprised by such a positive sentiment, though I do see the pandemic as very much driving that as uh, COVID has basically in, pushed uh, a lot of um, people in radiology, medical imaging to release data and share data and to really, and, and that's what they need, right? Like this essentially image net for medicine. Um, and uh, I, I think in many ways it's helped people embrace like data and generally being open to AI. And so I think like in that sense, I can very much see people being very confident, but confident of ROI in just a few years seems, uh, seems a little bit tricky. <laughs> I'm not sure. Yeah. This is pretty surprising. Cause also we have numbers here. Like the prediction was 5.3 years in 2018, 4.7 years in 2019, and now it's 3.6 years. So uh, what do these respondents know what we don't know about you know, being so much more optimistic? Uh, maybe it is, yeah, just more efforts or people have, are finding sort of the right ways to invest or something like that. But the full return on investment, as this is saying, uh, is, is pretty impressive. Um, yeah, and then, and then there's various other impressive numbers here of like nearly all healthcare leaders, 98%, have an AI strategy in place or plan to create one. And then 44 apparently have already implemented an AI strategy and are working on it. So yeah, this survey seems to indicate that AI in healthcare will have a big decade 
and we'll probably come to see a lot more in the coming years if this is correct right i hope so and i hope to see this actually uh come to fruition since that would be pretty cool and i think would advance the healthcare space quite a bit And on to a different topic of art in the Washington Post. Our last article is titled, Artist Song Wencheng Wanted Collaborators. So she designed and built her own AI robots. So Chung uses robots in her performance-based art, which is pretty cool. She and the robots basically paint together on these super large canvases. And this is essentially a team effort and it's part improvised dance on the canvases as well. Uh, I think this is super cool. <laughs> and I've seen, you know, AI art ranging from uh, GAN generated art to um, to this. And this seems like it's interacting also in the physical space as well, not just uh, not just digital and virtual. What are your thoughts here? Any any cool tidbits that you would like to share? Do you do you feel the same way about your robots, Andre? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I mean, I think whenever you work with robots, you do sort of feel a little bit like you're working with a partner in some sense. You have this physical sort of being and yeah, as a roboticist, often you spend a lot of time trying to get it to do stuff, right? So I, I try and get algorithms to run to get it to do simple things like grasping and, and there is some sort of feeling of, I don't know. You get to know this machine, right, really well, and you kind of make it do stuff, uh, but it's not easy, right? You have to sort of, not necessarily teach it, but you do have to work with it. And whenever it, you know, you get to a point where you can use it to do things that are maybe, you know, in this case, artistically successful, in my case, maybe uh, successful in terms of research, there is some excitement and you sort of feel a warmness toward a machine. So I can definitely understand artists exploring this, uh, kind of connection and using robots, uh, in this case for painting. And yeah, I, I took a look in this article and, and looked through the paintings and I think it's uh, pretty cool. I think it says that she uses, uh, some scans of, her brainwave data and uh, also live in a moment visual and movement cues, uh, just like dancers and musicians do. And that way she can control the robots and they together create these paintings. Uh, so it's a very personalized approach, I think, to using robots. And as a result, I do think the art that comes out of it is more meaningful and um, yeah, I think a very cool artist and a cool use of uh, robots for sure. Awesome. Yeah, I still remember when I first uh, was working um, in AI, I, I did dabble in robotics. And I remember just, you know, a lot of roboticists will say, oh, each robot has a personality. And even though they might be from the same you know, company or even like technically the same build, uh, they have their own personality and quirks <laughs> and you learn how to work with those. And I thought that was really interesting. Basically just like hardware, it's really hard to get it to be exactly the same each time. And so, um, so yeah, each one will have its own personality. Have you observed that? <laughs> Uh, 
to some extent. Nowadays, it's changing a little bit because more and more in robotics or in uh, robotics research, you have off-the-shelf robots. So you have more standardized robots that uh, people can use in different labs. So to some extent, that's changing and different types of robots have a personality. So, you know, there's a Sawyer, that's one type of robot, and there's a Panda, and we have a couple of each. We have a few Sawyers, a few Pandas. And so, yeah, it's it's getting a little bit more down to the type of robots and to the type of setup and all that. But yeah, the longer you work with a single machine, the more individualized it becomes. So I can definitely see that as you work with different robots in a lab, they would sort of differentiate and, and get their own personality. That's cute. <laughs> well, I hope we see more, you know, human robot collaboration, not just in art, but maybe also in inventory. So we can actually get those inventory robots if, if we do find that useful. Um, well, anyways, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Skynet Today's Let's Talk AI podcast. You can find the articles we discussed here today and subscribe to our weekly newsletter with similar ones at skynettoday.com. Subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts and don't forget to leave us a rating if you like the show. Be, Be sure, sure to, to tune in next week. <laughs>